Absolutely. I've also seen some pictures coming from middle America with equipment that looks very much like that moving down railways. So that's why I say we don't always know what's going on until it's arrived over there. They've, they've made a habit of that. Um, The defense secretary and, and general Milley and other people don't talk about stuff until it needs to be talked about. But uh, I guess that's a question I have is, are, are there any, any mobile artillery U.S.-made units that have been seen in Ukraine yet? And just to give you an example, one, one last thing, Pam, because I'd, I'd love to provide you with more data. If you allow us, I'm sure Yehuda and we can provide you via DM uh, a couple of things which we hear from the Ukrainian side they would like, and then you can decide as to whether you would like to convey that to people and advocate it. I mean, we'd love it. We're fully on that. I think we're Poland. probably a bit limited too in the fact that um, there was some hesitation for us to jump both feet into this when we just exited a, a 20-year conflict in Afghanistan. And I feel remiss in not saying that a lot of our surplus equipment uh, was left in theater in Afghanistan with the hope and expectation that they would be able to hold together uh, something that resembled a dignified government. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. And I wish very much that we could have sent that equipment to Ukraine, but that's not how things work in the real world. Logistics are a big pain in the butt. Yep. Uh, just to give you a picture, Pam, uh, just uh, numbers. Poland has signed an agreement after long negotiations with the U.S. to buy 250 M1A1. And uh, those are very, very decent kits. And uh, they are supposed to arrive this year to replace exactly what we discussed earlier, their T-72s. And uh, they already have Leopards, uh, 2A4 and 2A5s. And the uh, M1A1 just complements it perfectly. But that in itself is a deal slightly over $6 billion. I'm not saying that Ukraine shouldn't have it. If six or eight or ten billion gets the deal done, I'm all for it. Money is not the op- not the issue. It's what they need. And I think if you can give Ukraine more of the tanks they can use, if you can give Ukraine more paladins, absolutely worthwhile having. If you can give Ukraine more anti-aircraft uh, capacity and longer range missiles, Ukraine will win this thing and they will win it hands down. But the problem is it will take time and that takes both money ammunition and stoicism and patience and i'm not sure that we are all yet quite used to the not not yet geared up for it that this is a conventional war which is so gruesome and has very little aircraft involvement so far which probably won't change at all that it resembles a little bit the last phase, the mobile phase of World War One, when the American troops came in were mobile. But they were mobile because they also had better artillery, by the way. Ryan? Um, this will ring true to Pam because she's an American and a prospective politician. Uh, it's an election year. Uh, one thing we can do is make sure as citizens and voters that we ask any and all people that are running for elected office right now, where they stand on this matter and how much 
they support Ukraine, if if for no other reason than to keep that in the discussion uh, among the American population. There's a lot of stuff going on here right now, and sometimes Ukraine doesn't even make the cry on. Um, so just holding people to account and making sure that that they uh, enumerate what they intend to do if they're elected is important. Uh, if they don't talk about it, they can't be held to account for it. So getting people on the record is important and asking uh, prospective politicians where they stand on this lets them know that it's important to their constituents. Politicians and elected officials track things like that. And it's an election year. Okay, we have a lot of hands. And I know Alex has been waiting for a really long time. So go ahead, Alex. Thank you. Um, I was actually just going to build on Pam's point. The first part of her point that I don't think we've really discussed yet about the dueling narratives and how to, you know, really communicate that effectively. Um, and I think we need to remember that this is the nature of war. Uh, when you're looking at, you know, when you're in the thick of it, uh, it, it does look like it's one step forward, two steps back, uh, particularly in a war of this brutal brutal ferocity, there's going to be devastation, heartbreaking devastation. Um, even with the encouraging signs, it, it is difficult to manage how to feel and digest the scale of the events that we're living through, particularly the, we're not the Ukrainians are living through and we're watching in horror. Uh, and I guess to give an American example, uh, you know, 2% of the population of the United States died in the Civil War. I mean, the, the North suffered 23,000 casualties at Gettysburg alone. Uh, but it was the turning point in the Civil War um, that eventually ushered in the end of slavery, uh, if not freedom for the slaves as they understood it, at least, you know, the end of slavery. So I think focusing on the reasons for this war, uh, democracy, freedom, the rules-based international order are, are what keep the, the spirits buoyed, um, both for, you know, in Ukraine and beyond. Um, and you know, again, uh, kind of to steal another quote from Gettysburg, you know, uh, for not once in a century are the men permitted to bear such responsibility for freedom and justice, for God and humanity as are now placed upon you. Uh, I think the Ukrainians are bearing the responsibility with a heroic humility and dignity and passion that uh, should leave everyone in awe. Um, so it, it's darkest before the dawn, uh, to make a long story short. And uh, I think that's really got to be the message uh, when you're communicating uh, you know, how to digest all of this. So, anyway, thank you for listening. That was very well said. And I think the Gettysburg reference is something which people need to take in. Sometimes, sometimes it takes a lot of men and women, in this case, or in our century, to sacrifice in order for the greater good to be won. This may sound pathetic to some people because every individual matters. And he or she does, absolutely. And we've seen the images in recent days of family members not ever coming back because they have been shot at the front in Ukraine. But Ukraine and the Ukrainian soldiers fight for their freedom because if they cease to fight, there is none. Okay, Captain Domino, I think you were next. Hey, good evening, everyone. Um, Several weeks ago, there was a list, and Walter very clearly listing it out, 
and it included the, the three items, um, NASM's, Avengers, and Timars. But there was an extended list of things that the Ukrainian government was asking for. And uh, I recall very distinctly the A29 Super Tucano, which is a, a Brazilian manufactured uh, tubo prop plane that is actually pretty, has pretty good qualities for its um, price and capabilities. Um, it can field um, GPS-guided munitions, and you can even um, use a Python 4 uh, infrared air-to-air -air missile. I, I haven't heard anything um, since since uh, Walter brought it up. But, uh, I mean, as far as I know, that's the only aerial platform that they've um, expressly requested. Um, the other point I wanted to do with regards to the Abrams um, I, I was looking at an article, excellent. I believe that the poll, the, the deal with the polls, um, it was going to be sort of a staggered uh, delivery in batches where a, a first batch was going to come this year, but the rest of the tanks were going to be spread out over the course of the next two years. And yes. that mm -hmm, and that kind of leads to my next point. I've mentioned before that I'm, I'm an engineer, so I'm somewhat familiar with the status of um, manufacturing things in general. And um, I'm just a little bit pessimistic in terms of what can be done over the next six months to a year. I mean, the way that the supply chain is right now, it's just it's just a mess. I mean, the things that, that in the past took three weeks are now taking, I, I kid you not, 60 plus weeks. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane. So I, I guess for, from my perspective, you know, every platform, like, you won't see any new production platform that you order today, at least in a year. So so basically, whatever we have is whatever we can send. That's my, my position. Well, the U.S. Uh, 7th Army has a ton of kit um, in pre-positioned stock. There's a number of APS sites all across uh the core countries where it once had it and the 405th army field support brigade has uh, fully activated one site recently which had 600 vehicles so and they are important that they are there because they are currently being manned and they are being used so that uh, the u.s army can actually contribute to the deterrence and the defense of europe however this is not the only aps site there's a lot of kit and it's available as even more kit in the US. And you're right, supply chains are a stretch, but the US has, and it's the only nation which has that reach. And there's a couple of presidents in recent history, Republicans and Democrats, who have from time to time deigned it necessary to activate people like um, the big carriers to assist supplying materials so that more flights of the Air Force and uh, related to the Air Force could transport heavy duty kit. And if you look at how our beloved US Marines just recently packed up a few days ago, the howitzers, it's absolutely fantastic to see. It makes your eyes water because that is what you want. You want that to travel. The kit is there, the air transport capacity is there, the biggest, as Ryan quite rightly said, the biggest logistics operation since the Berlin airlift is currently ongoing. In terms of cargo, it 
outstrips Vietnam completely already. So adding these vehicles requires shifting some capacity of other equipment to the likes of FedEx and UPS. It takes five minutes for the White House to call upon those two CEOs. And trust me, these are bloody patriots. They'll get gold. Ryan. I worked on a dock at FedEx Freight for a couple of years while I was in college. And uh, you'd be surprised some of the things that moved through there from a military base to a military base without any munitions in them. Uh, but yeah, things things like forklifts and uh, palletized freight, as Trent Tolinko has very uh, eloquently elaborated on, win wars, uh, the ability to move massive amounts of things in quick times in consolidated ways uh, efficiently, like on C-130s, is very important. And as Trent Tolinko has said it more clearly than I have, the Russians are still loading trucks with manual labor uh, in logistics capabilities. If we can apply those, we can stomp a mud hole in this whole conflict. Imagine that. European weapon system manufacturers and American logistics. BAE this thing is it. <laughs> all righty. Uh, gentle people and uh, Pam, thank you very much for, uh, for all of you who've been uh, patiently uh, listening to my dribble and my silliness uh, in the past couple of hours. It has, as always, been a pleasure and a privilege. We have one of the best audiences and listenerships and communities I could imagine. And there is no better cause and dedicating our time and resources to defending freedom by means of helping our friends to defend our freedom, meaning our friends, the Ukrainians, who are currently fighting with their lives every single day, every hour, every minute. Those who currently sit somewhere in a dark, deep, muddy, humid hole in Mariupol, those who have woken up already because it is 5.24, we are on Kiev time here in Tallinn. Those who have already woken up to fire from the other side, somewhere near Brazivka, Kurulka, Dovenke, Yeremivka, Lozove, Izium. Those who currently sit and look for firing solutions across the river in Kherson. Those who sit in Popazna, where for 18 days they've been repelling those troops who have been beforehand raping and pillaging and killing civilians on the outskirts of Popasna and filmed it. Those who are still, still today, sitting next to the train station and in the woods at Durobizhne, those defenders, those fantastic 12 territorial defense battalions in Severodonetsk, who until not very long ago were dentists, college students, teachers, no matter what. Think of them, because they are already awake. They are there. They are fighting. And that's what we're here for. So thank you. Good night and good luck. Take thank care you, of yourself. Axel. Thank you. Take care of yourself, please. Great work as always. I I'm going to have to join Axel in saying good night to the room. Thank you, Walter, for allowing me to speak again. Uh, I'm truly grateful for this space and certainly more than willing to do whatever I can do to help this effort. So uh, damn me of what, whatever you want me to put out on Twitter, just let me know. And I'm more than happy to do it. And, um, so I just wish you all the very best and Slava Ukraini. Everyone, Slava. Thank okay. you. Ben. Thank you, Pam. All right. I think Politically Curious was next. Yes, thank you. 
I'm trying not to take this personally because like um, there's been at least three times when it was just my turn to speak next and Axel dropped off. So I'm going to try not to. I promise it's not your fault. It's not. (laughs) And also, you know, Pam as well, because my comment is, is I I was almost shocked. Um, I think Pam is great. And I have followed her over Twitter back and forth for a while. And, and I listened to what she said about, she's like, what do you mean? You don't have enough helmets, you know? And then she jumped to tanks. So let's back up a little bit about uh, support from um, the United States. So helmets are considered small gear. And, um, you know, I went through this dental emergency and my luck with my great luck, I found a, a, a root canal specialist who is from Ukraine. And when you go in there, there are sheets and sheets of, um, pr- you know, a printout that you can take home and a, a address that you can go online and um, donate to. So helmets are, are um, they're considered an accessory and, and we can send money to order those as civilians. We can buy helmets as civilians. And I don't know about jumping to tanks, but the United States has just sent so much ammunition in support of Ukraine, you know, via plane, of course. And the the pilots are volunteer retired military, and they are aware that at this point, Russia has stated and spoken that they can shoot that plane down. They are allowed to shoot their plane down for bringing support. So for her to go, what are we doing? We're not doing enough. You need helmets. And all of a sudden she jumps a tank. We are doing a lot. There is so much military. They cannot fly directly into Ukraine, of course. I mean, but these people are risking their lives. And when the when they're asked, you know, and this is on television. I mean, if she, you know, just turn the television on, you know, and when they're asked, you know, um, are you aware this is a huge risk, you know, that you can be shot down and the pilot responded, well, yes, but you know, you just do the same as you do in the military. You just do your job and try to get in and get out safely. And not only that, they're flying to of course, all these areas around Ukraine who are supporting uh, Ukraine in this. And, and you know, they are responsible for distributing the arms. So I'm just very surprised because she's, she's um, Pam is a, a, a very well-versed, I don't know, Twitter knowledger, but I'm, I'm surprised that she would mix those two topics, helmets and tanks and, 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 and not know. So anyways, I'm, I'm disappointed in that comment. Um, and the second thing I'd like to comment and ask on is like, I just don't know what's in the stars right now. If anybody could fill me in the, the backwards pull we are experiencing and, and all over the planet on rights, you know, women, women's rights to choice are being pulled out, you know, after 30 years in, in the in our country and they're fighting for that politically politically curious i'm so sorry to interrupt you but that is something that we want to 
try to avoid. We understand that it's a very hot topic in the United States. I'm in the United States, but we we don't we don't want to venture down that road. Well, um, Craig, you haven't listened to what I said. I told you the whole thing about backsliding, and you didn't listen. So my comment is, why is the whole planet backsliding? I mean, repeatedly we've heard, you know, like why is Russia acting like this is you know 1980. And we're experiencing the same thing in the United States. Why is the whole planet feeling such a backslide on rights for everyone? And that was my comment, if you would have heard what I said first. Um, I don't know. Is it the stars? Is it the planets? I don't think Mercury in retrograde is that strong, strong. I don't know. I'm just saying the whole Earth is being pulled backwards. You know, that's all I'm saying. So I get your frustration, and it's pretty straightforward. If you want to help, and specifically help via helmets and uh, personal protective equipment and body armor, it's a good option. Maria Aid is an excellent option. That's what they deliver on top of medical supplies. And uh, if you want to, to essentially your help to be to be, if you're if you want to your contribution to be translated into that, that will be the case. So if you want that, just use the Maria 8 as a, as a good option and tell everyone about them. And uh, you mentioned your root canal specialist. Yeah, tell him as well. Because uh, every contribution that you make, uh, it translates specifically in that type of equipment. He is from Ukraine and he's connected. So I think the best thing for me, and I, I, that's where I would send my money for small needs. Well, exactly. That's uh, where Maria 8 stepped in. Small needs and uh, and bigger scale. Okay, so I think, I uh, believe that, let's go to Bitcoin and then Nat Sai. Uh, you guys have been very patient. We just added Jay and Ricardo. So let's go Bitcoin and then Nat Sai, please. You know, guys, thanks for um, having me up. I've got some new headphones on, so I'm not sure if it's coming through okay. And no, just a, you're a, quick... a little bit grainy, actually. Um, maybe you can try to take your headset off. Yeah, how's that? Much better, much better. Yeah, um, just a quick one. There's rumours going around regarding a frigate being sunk. And, and I, guess I, I know it's hard to confirm right now, and I have been looking everywhere to see if we can get confirmation on that. And um, is there anyone who... What, what do you guys think? Do you think it's correct or not? Or Yeah, it'd be good to get your commentary on it. Thank you. That's, that's all I've got to say. Um, I'm sorry, Bitcoin. What, what, what did you need more information on? I'm sorry, specifically. Yeah, just the um, just that frigate. There's reports. Of, um, oh yeah, frigate yeah. Being, sorry, I thought you asked but, something else. Yeah, I, I think I can this, but, yeah. very briefly cover this one. Um, Wings and Rockets, who's a very prominent speaker in here, woke up and took a look at the news and went back to bed. So I think that's where we can say that one's at. Yeah, that might have been, a, people might have gotten a little too far ahead of themselves on that one. But, I mean, who knows? Hopefully, hopefully we have another uh, meme site down in the bottom of the Black Sea. Um, Nat Sai, please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Again, I would like to come back to the comments that um, Constantine and Axel were doing. And were all uh, points of help. For me, there are several levels how people can help. There is, of course, uh, certain people with connections in the government can uh, lobby for large help. Maria Aid is an amazing organization that raises money and buys um, equipment um, and medical kits that 
regular people really cannot do it on a large scale. But there are also people like me, for example, who don't have any connections, who never dealt with military before, but it is still possible to help and find somebody who can donate one, two helmets or whatever they have, uh, American veterans. And that's what I have been doing and collecting um, donations like that uh, from whatever whom I know and I got more connected. And now I'm shipping uh, over 1,000 pounds of tactical gear, including helmets, boots, uniforms, and uh, like very uh, carriers and um, bags and whatever, like small bags, like and some stuff that I really don't know what it is, but it looks uh, military and important, small gadgets, widgets, whatever. So um, it's possible. Uh, and um, it just matter if you believe if you can do it. Or you can contact me DM if you have like small donations. I really uh, try to fill this gap and get small donations and ship it to Ukraine. And there are many ways and logistics specifically for smaller donations. Donations, one box here, one box there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Natsai. Um, let's go to uh, Ricardo and Troy. You guys had your hands up, and now they're down. So it's a race to see who puts their hands up. Oh, Troy was first. All right, yeah, Troy, go have, ahead. Go ahead, Troy, go first. Yeah, go ahead, Troy. Hey, thanks. Um, I wanted to. Oh man, I think she left. Who was a uh, politically something? She asked about why everything was sliding into darkness. Um, I think we should keep in mind the the you know the the changes the world is going through the fourth industrial revolution, and you know technology, globalism, and people being displaced by you know uh, not just robots but by algorithms and uh, new ways of doing business. So there's a lot of uh, change in the air, and everything's you know up for grabs. This might be the last. Well, if you're a world leader, you might think this is the last time to to change the borders before everything gets locked in with, you know, artificial intelligence, quantum computing and, and you know, mass surveillance. It's going to be, you know, hard to pull a fast one, even more so than it is now in the future. So, um, you know, there's also, you know, you can get into climate change and, and water and, and, you know, habitability and, and all that. And, you know, you don't have to talk about, you know, the food the 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 I guess you'd call it a, a new Holdemore. You know they're 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 replacing grain and they're trying to disassemble the great agricultural industry of Ukraine, and it's uh, you know the cruelty is on purpose. So um, yeah, it's destabilization. It's opportunities for the kind of people who thrive in societies where there's you know winner takes all and the strong man rules. Um, they're seeing it as an opportunity to increase their gains and lock in uh, a new order before, you know, you know, democracy threatens. If you think about, you know, if you like science fiction, I'm more of a Star Wars fan, but I think Star Trek got it right. You know, it's set like a couple hundred years in the future after World War Three, and, you know, more or less everyone's problems are figured out and we have the technology to take care of everyone. There's enough food and water for everyone. So then we get down to science and actually exploring the galaxy. But, that's for another room, I guess. The truth is out there, Troy. Um, I know that's not the right show. I'm just razzing your brother. Um, uh, was that yeah, an X-Files reference? Of course it was. I'm a big X-Files fan. 
Yeah, this is the 90 sci-fi room now. That's that's fine with yeah. me. Yeah, right, exactly. No, I saw I saw a UFO once. Uh, just saying. Anyway, so let's get back to the topic at hand, and that is Ukraine. Uh, but thank you, Troy. I appreciate it. Just trying to have a little bit of a laugh, brother. Not at your expense. Um, but I would agree with you. Um, just to kind of follow up on that, I would agree that we're reaching an inflection point. Uh, obviously, what Russia is doing is, I think, beyond trying to redraw borders. I think what they're doing tends to be much more culturally based. I think some countries have figured it out. At least the vast majority of them have. I think you you have probably... One, two, three, four, five. You have probably about maybe five countries that haven't gotten the message yet. And those are authoritarian. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that they're doing what authoritarians do. And that's be aggressive. It's not a new development throughout history, right? Um, Authoritarians tend to be very aggressive with their foreign policy. They tend to be very assertive. And they tend to be, at some, in their worst cases, genocidal. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's new. I would say that that's been going on for quite a long time. Uh, I would just probably say that it's getting rarer and rarer. And some of these authoritarians are kind of backed into the proverbial corner. But it's a corner that they've made, right? They've made their own bed. This is something that, that Russia has been wanting to do since the fall of the Cold War, right? Is get, quote unquote, get it back, right? And this has been a long-held goal of the security state of, of the Russian apparatus. So I get your point. Um, but, you know, I, I understand it. The, the premise makes sense but i would probably have a little trouble with the supporting evidence just because of the uh the nature of authoritarian dictatorships right um you don't have to go too far back in history to see what they do you know what i mean no thank you craig i'm sun baked like i've been in the sun all day that was much (laughs) more well-spoken than me and the only other thing i'll add is uh you know president biden on more than one occasion has shared his the nature of his conversations with uh, President Xi Jinping of China. And that is, you know, Xi has no problem saying, you know, in candor, you know, we, I can do whatever I want. You know, I, I think the country needs to go in this direction. We move in this direction. You guys fight yep. over silly things and that's our advantage. And I don't think you can pull it off. And, you know, it's on us to, to pull it off. So, so I, thank I you would, for helping me out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I would. And I would argue, I would argue that that statistically speaking, he's wrong that democracies actually win more than authoritarians do. It's just that now that democracy has a foothold in, in the world that it hasn't had before the British, the the Romans pioneered it. They lost it. The British then brought it back uh, through their parliamentary system. And then Britain was the superpower of the world because democracy actually works better than people think. It's just like this misnomer because you turn on CNN or you watch Fox news and you think, Oh oh my God, the world's falling apart. The world's falling apart. It actually is not. Right. It, it, democracies are actually very strong organizations. They just tend to have a little bit more, you know, to just get a little more boisterous than the other ones. But I digress. Pro- oh. Provided they have a well-informed electorate. Yeah. Hey, can I speak you... up on this for a yeah. minute? What? What? Yeah, before we ma- do, I'm just going to say, just I'm just going to add. Uh, I'm just going to add. I wouldn't use Rome as a stunning example of democracy. It was democracy for citizens, and there are few and far between. But we get the point. Uh, definitely. I mean, I will. I will add this. Uh, I mean, Xi Jinping. I can't say his name. Ping, whatever his name is, the bad man in China. Um, Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Uh, he he hasn't figured out what children. Yeah, he hasn't figured out what children who play the computer game Civilization can figure out. When you have an autocratic system, if you ever played that game or variations of it, your research and development and productivity go down, down, down because people are not inspired to do well or to think for themselves. 
Um, but if you have a capitalist system or a democratic system where there's an incentive for self-promotion, I hate to say it, people obviously care about themselves. That's a human condition. So um, one is counterintuitive, one is intuitive. Uh, obviously, you have to strike a balance and care for the weakest in society. But, um, you know, having having these heavily regulated everything industries doesn't help. I think we spoke ad nauseum a couple of nights ago about, I think Jingu came on. We were talking about how, how few publications Chinese universities have for research and development, or especially medicine or the sciences, that there are Chinese geniuses, but they go to Western schools in North America or in England or in France or Germany. They don't they don't have schools in in China. They don't promote that. It's a kleptocracy. They steal technology and reinvent it. So um, there are definite downsides to that kind of system. And I, I would I'm not going to talk about capitalism and tomorrow. You know, listen. In a society where you're free to think what you want and and free to express yourself, you generally tend to be a happier person and you produce more. It's a reality. Sorry, Craig, so whoever was going next, I think someone had their hand up. And No, but I would like to speaker bomb for a minute. We're going to, we're, we're just going to, so it'll be you. So give me one second because Jay has been so incredibly patient as well. So we're going to go Ricardo and then Jay, please. And always remember, just keep your hand up if you'd like to talk, right? So everyone else has their hand up. Just make sure you put your hand up too. Yeah, I mean, it's just, a, I'm kind of way behind. It's, I think it was like 30 minutes ago people were talking about, it might have been Pam or somebody was talking about um, why it, uh, you know, taking so long to get certain equipment over. And I I do have a military family. And in fact, one person who is active over in Europe right now and dealing with the transfer of stuff. And they won't tell me much of anything. But one of the things that we're saying is that, I mean, I'll, I'll call it bureaucracy. He didn't. Is that there's so many aspects to sending equipment that, I mean, the United States probably does have a lot of bureaucracy. That, but they have to look at like patents and copyrights. And, I mean, I say pat- copyrights, but there's a lot of aspects of what they send over. Um, and I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of the, the line he threw me and he wouldn't tell me too much. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think it gets more complicated when the United States with being somewhat pragmatic tries to send things over. And, and it, there are some bureaucracy that we can't blame our politicians uh, there are just certain procedures that have to be done that uh, ensure that something that's being sent. Is, I don't know. I, I don't, so can you guys answer that? I mean, Craig, you've been in the military. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. He's in the Air Force. Uh, yeah. And man, you say I'm in the Air Force one more time. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would I would say that, uh, first of all, I was enlisted. So just remember, my view was always up, not down, like an officer. Um, and so I, I had my area of responsibilities and I got to eavesdrop a lot, but I never had the chance, like the most amount of people I ever led at one time was probably 10, um, in operations and, uh, control tower radar soup. And so I couldn't really kind of give you a bird's eye view of that. You probably have to talk to somebody with a collar device, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, no offense. Sorry, mate. (laughs) Sorry. I know know it's kind of a crappy answer. I'm sorry. It made sense to me if anybody else knows about that. I, I, what he was saying is, and he's actually pretty high up. I think I told you in a DM yeah. one time, he's, he's pretty high up. But he he was suggesting that it's just a lot more complicated than just Biden or Congress, whoever's sending something over. There's just a lot more of, you know, I'm going to use the word bureaucracy again about just what can be sent and what. Well, it's what's... not, it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to I know I, I know I say this a lot, but it's not just bureaucracy. It, it really, really isn't. 
it's really logistics. It's how much you can shove on a truck or on a train and move it. The greatest amount of volume that you can move is on a train, right? It's just a fact, right? But there's trains that are trying to get out that are on the same gauge as trains trying to come in. I know, I know people like roll their eyes and like, oh my God, trains, oh my God. Like, where do you think they're getting these paladins? Where do you think they're getting all this stuff? If Poland can send 500 tons of humanitarian aid by rail, where do you think they're getting the rest of this stuff from? Like, let's just tell it how it is, right? Without that gauge that runs from Warsaw, that's on the Ukrainian gauge, that runs north to Lviv, we're not seeing what we're seeing. If everything's running by trucks, you're running way too slow. You're running on the Russian model, right? Ukraine doesn't have that time. And so what we're seeing is not just bureaucratic issues, but logistical bottlenecks that are forming. You can literally look at Maxar. Maxar publishes some of these things. This is public consumption. Everybody can see it. You're literally seeing stacked trains that are like a mile and a half long uh, near Warsaw that it's just day after day after can day. I, can I chime in here for yeah, a second? Yeah, please, yeah please, please. Can I chime in here? Sorry, yeah, I'm on two phones. <laughs> but, um, yeah, regarding the gauge, if I uh, heard correctly, so again, maybe me misunderstanding here. So actually Poland has a difference with in between two rails or gauge of the rail. So the only section of the similar gauge that goes from Ukraine to Poland and the similar to Ukrainian gauge is from Lviv to Przemysl. That's it. That's the only portion that I know of. There, there, there is one. I can, I'll send you the link for it, Walter. Uh, it may be mislabeled, but this was a, a map that was published. I don't, I'll DM it to you. That me and uh, Dom um, and uh, his, his friend, uh, I believe he's Lithuanian, that we've been going over, there's two rails that have the gauge. One that goes very deep into Poland, and there's another one that runs almost parallel north of that that's just south of the Belarusian border. Uh, but I'll send you that. I'll send you that. It might be wrong, but I'll send you that. Uh, I'll send you that link right now. Um, and Dom and I have been, and a couple other people have been going over that, but I'll send it to you. So I might be wrong, but that's just what we, we're seeing on the map. So I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so I'll just say that. It's, so even so, even if there is just one, you can imagine the bottlenecks that are forming. Um, and maybe Daryl can add on to that if we're just going to stick to the logistics point of view. Um, Daryl, did you want to add on to that logistics or that bottleneck, or do you want to say something else? I'm not going to speak for you. Yeah, it's just um, a lot of some of the stuff, like with the with some of the artillery pieces, I imagine, and whatnot, there's technology that um, we may have to turn off for, you know, just for security reasons, because it may hook into something that we have that we're not giving them, uh, things like that, especially like with the M1 tanks, there'll be uh, siding systems, things that we don't sell because it's something we want to keep for ourselves, particularly. Um, and so you have those little small, it's just small things, but they have to maybe go into the computers, turn off that that link or that um, that prong inside the uh, equipment so that it does not act, so it's not active. Everything will look the same, but it just may not have all the functionality that it would have if it was ours or say one that we had sold to uh the uk you know we it's a matter of trust and who we can trust with certain um bits of you know certain computer um 
type uh, coding, stuff like that. So that may be one. And then, uh, like you said, with the gauge, uh, transferring the equipment, they'll have to transload um, at a secure location and get it off, undog it, and redog it back onto the onto the cars uh, that are that can go into Ukraine. And that process can take a while because when you consider, say, like on a tank, there are 32 chains that we put on tanks to tie them down. It's labor intensive. Uh, that that kind of stuff can be, you know, um, time consuming. Uh, just, you know, getting them there. You can't just put it on the train, uh, put two chains on it on the front and rear and send it. When you talk about going around curves, things like that, those tracks sitting on those cars can slide and you don't want a tank rolling off the side of a, a car into somebody's house or just, you know, possibly shifting the uh, dynamics of the train itself. That's, that's you know, kind of all I wanted to say about that. Okay. Thank you, Daryl. Um, Jay, we're going to get off logistics for a second because Jay has been incredibly patient, has been waiting his turn. Jay, please go ahead. Hey, how are everybody doing? Um, I listened to the lady. She was kind of passionate. Uh, the one that says she's an activist. And I think sometimes people have to step back and look at the big picture. The undertaking in Ukraine is large. I mean, you got the U.S. military, then you have NATO. You you got different chains of command in each. You have warning orders, uh, tasking orders. You have uh, operation orders that have to go out. Dates and times are so important. Then you have priority. What's the priority? What's not a priority? And um, then you got like I said, dealing with uh, other countries, this part of NATO, um, dealing with Ukraine, that's another part. It, 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 you're not really going to take nothing out of those warehouses because I know that tasking orders have already gone out as far as maintenance being provided on those uh, weapons and stuff we have over there in, in warehouses, make sure it's ready to go. NATO don't know if they're going to get drawn into this. So as far as their combat readiness, they're not going to do nothing really to uh, deplete their combat readiness. They, they got to be ready to go. When them soldiers fly from the U.S. and land over there in Europe to jump in equipment, that equipment got to be ready to go. So uh, if anything comes um, from the U.S. To, to Ukraine, it's probably going to leave via plane flown over there to Europe. Because I think right now uh, NATO is making sure that they're ready for you know for combat in case Russia does something stupid so there's a lot of uh working ends here and intel and everything so I, i'm surprised it's working as well as it has um with all these experts working together and i, I I'm, I'm amazed that it's going as well as it has and my heart goes out to ukraine boy you talking about goliath jesus i mean they're really putting it on them and I can't say enough. And one thing that I am doing here in the United States, in Kentucky, um, I'm getting together a, a, a bunch of job applications and everything else, clothing to the church, and uh, trying to work with the governor's office to see um, where any refugees from Ukraine are going to be placed. Uh, if they're placed in Lexington or Georgetown, Kentucky, by where I live at, 
uh, we're going to help them out 100%, make sure that we can get them good jobs and uh, put plenty of food into the place they get and put some clothes on their children and on their backs to help them out and make them feel welcome. So I hope everybody else is thinking about that also. Thanks. Thank you, Jay. As always, leading the way. Appreciate it. Um, okay, so I somewhat lost the order. I know where I know Ryan. Oh, you know what? Actually, no, Boris. Boris, you've had your hand up for quite some time. Let's go to Boris and then Ryan. I'm sorry about that, Boris. You got cycled down to that bottom row. I'm sorry, brother. Boris, go ahead. <laughs> no worries. It was a quite interesting topic that we were discussing. First of all, hello, guys. I missed talking with you. Had some stuff to do, so can join for quite some time. Well, basically, I do want to stick with the logistics topic. And, of course, it's quite interesting speaking about those Abramses because I want to just uh, pack in a small topic that we saw Abramses used by the uh, Saudis, I think. We saw uh, Abramses in Syria, right? And um, I remember I was really shocked when one of the Abramses got a ATGM in the turret and it didn't even fail for the tank. And that's quite interesting because, well, the U.S. government can sell them to the Saudis and those guys, but right now they're dragging their heads with the Ukraine, right? Why? Why? What's the main reason that they're not giving them the giving them the tanks, which they really need? And uh, another quite interesting topic that I want to put in, and it's quite like a different topic uh, other than the ones that we were speaking. Uh, I wanted to ask a few questions with the community that we have over here. I do know that we're quite good brains, smart people and interesting people as well. Uh, well, most of the empires that we've seen throughout the history, just like Russia, you know, we knew that those empires, some of them were cracking from inside, right? And we do even see some of the Russians fighting alongside the Ukrainians. I don't know who saw it, but they even changed the flag to white, blue, and white. So they wanted to, like, uh, tear off the red blood from their flag. We even saw some footage of some uh, some people shooting Molotovs into the uh, commandant uh, houses. It's like their uh, places where they recruit soldiers. And how much possible is that the Russian people inside, the ones who are not zombified, who are, uh, just to say, uh, invulnerable to the propaganda, who have clear vision, who have, like, internet in their phones maybe, and think normally, just like normal people, how much is the possibility that we might see some things going on inside the Russia from its population? Because we do see that there's a lot of fires, there's some kind of... Uh, uh, research labs burning over there. We see like there's a lot of detainment going on. There's a lot of people going into jails because they're protesting the war. And how much is it possible that we can have a hope into normal people of Russia as well? How real is it? Oh, I, I definitely couldn't answer that question. I'm sorry. I wish Perry was here. Um, I'm sorry. Maybe a Hooter or Walter can speak to that. I don't I don't know enough about the culture or the, or the dynamics over there, quite honestly. All I <clears throat> could basically say is that obviously what you're seeing is authoritarian repression, uh, which is, again, not unique in history, sadly enough. Uh, but what kind of multiplying effect that might have or how far the Russian people might go? Uh, I mean, I'll say that as a Westerner, I've seen two revolutions in Russia and in, in within a century, 1917 and then 1990. Uh, so... It, I don't know where they're at now, 
but I couldn't I couldn't really speak to that. I just don't know the culture enough uh, to be able to speak to that. You you might be Russians might have gone for, far too down the rabbit hole <clears throat> after the Soviet Union fell, and Russians proper uh, might have just baked their cake and decided to sit down and eat it with Putin and the FSB together. Um, it used to be that the the Russians government was very repressive, right? Think the czars and the Soviet Union. What Putin has done <clears throat> very cleverly, I might add, is he has said that we're in this together. We're going to restore Mother Russia. And you guys are victims. We're all victims of repression from the West. And look what happened to our borders. Look what happened. I'm going to restore Russia's greatness. So it could be that they decided to set the Russian populace and the leadership decided to sit down and have a cup of coffee for one and get together on this. But that's just, again, just a, a, a Westerner seeing that because there still is broad support within Russia for this. You're not seeing, you know, protests in the scale of tens of thousands of people walking the streets. You're seeing some kind of acquiescence, right? Okay, well, you know what's happening, but, you know, you know, Z forever or whatever the hell is, right? Whatever they say to each other. Uh, but regarding the cultural dynamics or how that plays out, I wouldn't have a clue, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know how that works over there, to be honest. I'm sorry. Well, basically, most of the words you said, like you did read, read my mind, it's kind of a hope question that I've asked. But I would like to get back to the topic about the Houthi or Saudi tanks in Syria. What was the reason that the U.S. gave them those tanks? And those are M1A1s. The, those aren't the old M1 Abramses with the 105 guns. They were the M1A1s. And what might be the main reason still behind this bureaucracy? Because in my opinion, sending a tank might be a little bit easier, depending on the bureaucracy. Of course, you got to ship it. It's a heavy thing. You got to put it through the railroad and so on and so forth. But... Like, still, what's the main reason that we're not seeing U.S. tanks in Ukraine? Uh, I would say that we've been allies, formal allies with the Saudis for a very long time, uh, since probably the 1950s. Um, we've been very close with the Saudis. Um, we got even closer during the Iraq War, um, and we've gotten even closer when Iran started its expansion. So we've been supplying Saudi Arabia with arms and weapons for a very long time. Uh, we haven't been doing that in Ukraine because Ukraine hasn't been under threat of invasion. Uh, it did have its revolution of dignity in 2014. But before, before that, they had they were, you know, I don't want to say ruled. That's not the right. That's not the white word. They've been an independent country, but a lot of corruption, a lot of leaderships, very deep ties to Russia. So the threat of invasion against Russia wasn't really there until about 2014. Um, and even then, I don't think, to my knowledge, that they were. I mean, I might be wrong. I'm not even going to speak to that because I'm not sure what they were asking for back in 2014. Uh, I can't speak to that. But we, we've been supplying Saudi Arabia with arms since since the jump, since the end of World War II. Um, so seeing seeing American weapons in Saudi hands isn't uh, isn't abnormal, I would say. I think that's pretty normal, quite honestly. Um, let's we move. also sold them some artillery for use in Yemen, M109s, as a matter of fact. There I think go. there were A5s or A6s that were planned, maybe A5s that were planned to be upgraded in Saudi to A6s. There so, you go. Nothing new. Yeah, that that, that relationship goes back, you know, decades and decades. Um, let's go to, hold on one second. Let's go to, hmm, I actually kind of lost the order there. I think actually you were next, Ryan. We're going to go Ryan and then Ginge and then Daryl, please. 
Well, I actually had a question I was hoping uh, would be addressed by uh, Colonel Vindman earlier this evening, which was more of a domestic politics for Russia issue, which uh, was what, if any, uh, things were going on in Russia that may have triggered Putin to decide to invade Ukraine at the particular time he did uh, NATO excluded or the, the Ukrainian willingness to join NATO excluded. And it, I feel like that's kind of on topic here right now because uh, historically speaking, uh, dictators and bad leaders are known to find and blame some kind of external influencer uh, for their domestic problems and rally their own population around vilification of a foreign enemy uh, in order to bolster their own uh, leadership or lack thereof. And I'm wondering, um, Putin has done this in the past. Take Chechnya, for example. I mean, they wanted to be separate, uh, separate uh, entity, and he stirred up some bogus bombings around Moscow with the FSB using explosives that are only available to uh, the Russian government and spun that up into taking over the country. Um, now we're doing it again. I'm just wondering if maybe his uh, domestic power was weakening or the economy in Russia was in the tank because of COVID or what could have pushed him over the edge here but other than the whole NATO thing? I'll let Walter answer if he wants to answer or Yehuda, but I would simply say, me personally, you saw Russia invade Ukraine twice. In 2014, after the Revolution of Dignity, right, when Ukrainian people stood up for themselves and said, we're not going to take this kind of crap anymore. And then the second time was after Zelensky was elected. Zelensky was not Poroshenko. He was very pro-Western. He was going to turn his back on Russia to the extent that he could. And he was going to try and integrate. He was young, charismatic, a fresh face in Europe that could have taken Ukraine and really led them in the right direction uh, towards the West, much like, say, the Baltics. Right. And I think Putin made a calculus that Zelensky was elected, I think, with what, 70 percent of the vote overwhelmingly elected. And he realized, I think Putin realized that he couldn't be bought. He could. He wasn't he wasn't like a Yakon. Y- 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 um, Oh, that guy's name. I always hate saying it. Yanukovych. Thank you. Yanukovych. He wasn't like these other old oligarchs. Chuck. Yeah, he, could, he couldn't be bought off. He was a fresh face. He was he was young, um, you know, relatively young, I should say. He wasn't like in his 20s. But I think that that was an inflection point. I think he realized that after Zelensky won, he thought that he could probably do a deal with Poroshenko. He thought that he could be like, you know, kind of manipulate him or pull his string somehow. But once Zelensky was elected, it was game over. In, in, my, in my opinion, I might have been wrong, but I feel like how long maybe you can answer this quick. Maybe it would clarify for me. How long was Zelensky in power before uh, this most recent invasion took place? I mean, was he there a year or two? Um, I didn't really pay attention to Ukrainian domestic politics. Um, I know he was an actor before he was the real president, but... Uh, a little vague on timeline. Sorry, I've been uh, distracted with I'm, American I'm, politics, and I'm googling it right now. <laughs> I guess I could Google it myself. Yeah, I was just sorry. Sorry to sidebar everybody. I, I'm capable of internet 
I know Boolean that he was, searches. Yeah, I know. I'm actually trying to Google it right now, but my phone's not cooperating. I know he was in office when Trump was president, so you're talking at least 29. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was asking for aid during the Trump administration. So he, yeah, he yeah, was around yeah, in 2018. But yeah, I, I think I think that once he realized that he couldn't be bought, he couldn't. I think he showed his independence. I think it's fair to say. I don't think it's getting too dark deep into the well. That I think Zelensky showed his independence. He wasn't willing to take the bait uh, and be the recipient of of you know compromise, right? So that could be leveraged against him. I think he stood his ground, and I think that that was kind of the line. And I think Putin was like, "All right, that's it. We, we 